Hey, I'm Kim Short, and it's time to get your podcast on. Welcome to What Led Her Here, exploring the defining experiences of women's lives. My guest today is the passionate and resilient Dr. Sarah Allen. Sarah is a mom of two, a pediatric neuropsychologist and parent-teacher coach. She's also a new author of Raising Brains, available now, which teaches coping and adaptive skills for kids. Known as the Brain Gal, Sarah's passion is teaching people how to use brain science to successfully and mindfully raise healthy, happy, emotionally intelligent kids. I'm thrilled to have her here today to share her powerful story. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I love that your focus is on raising resilient kids. How did this particular niche become a passion for you? Oh, yes. Well, you know, I've had different kinds of experiences. I mean, one was just from as soon as I started teaching in doctoral and master's programs, I realized that the people that I was teaching were kind of missing some of these coping skills, which was such an interesting experience for me. People at that level still having trouble when life hit them with things where they would just kind of not be able to manage what was happening day to day for them when these things happened to them. And it's really kind of got me interested in this concept. But mostly I think it was some personal experiences. I've been studying the brain for over 15 years now, and I've had a lot of life experiences throughout that whole thing too. So you know, start out as a neuropsychologist, helping parents raise happy brains and helping teachers as well and school systems. And, you know, then my own life experiences really kind of threw me for a loop, you know, as I tried to have kids, I actually was still in my doctoral program when I lost my first son, that son lived about an hour. And then I got pregnant with twins right after that and lost two more. And then, you know, my mom has had cancer twice. Those were some major experiences for me, kind of traumatic experiences for me. The first time, especially, it was kind of the first time that something kind of stops your world a bit. And then eventually leading up to a few years ago, my 29-year-old sister died of breast cancer. And that was actually really the point that I became more interested in resilience and coping skills with kids because that was a time period that I'd had kids and I had to go through the coping process while still raising them. And it just became you know, even more ingrained in me that that was really an important thing to work on with kids. As a parent, that level of trauma had to have been so hard. So how did you manage that grieving process with young kids? It's so interesting that you phrase that that way, because when you're going through it, I think you're just holding your breath. You just don't even understand the magnitude to what's happening and to what's happening for yourself, let alone what's going on for your kids. But I, looking back on it, I was proud of the way that we ended up handling it because it was just this model of raising brains. This is what I, what I do, what I model with my kids. And so there was an openness about it some of which I had control over, to be honest, and some of which I didn't. Um, so we ended up going down to the shore, as we call it in New Jersey, with my very best friend. And we just kind of happened to have this week of processing. My sister had died in August um, and we had planned to be down the shore that week anyway. And I got lucky because I had, I call it a dream team. I always, in the book, especially, I talk about having a dream team and and she's definitely part of mine. And so, she, you know, I didn't have to worry about cooking or anything that day and just trying to get through, trying to plan what was going to happen next. We had planned a celebration of life for my sister. So I was 
involved with most of that. And, you know, the process is really interesting. So my family and I get along very well, but at the time of that, when everybody is so heightened, we all had issues, you know, we, we all wanted to do things differently and we're all very emotional. And so there were some back and forth arguments, you know, so my kids kind of watched a little bit of us not getting along, but I think the most important thing was just talking to them about it. Mimi and I are, are upset with each other right now, but it's because we're really upset. We love each other and this is a hard thing and we're both sad. And so we're working on it. Um, and just trying to give some labels and some, some guidance into what's happening without hiding anything because kids definitely pick up on it. And you kind of are responsible for modeling. What do you do when you have a tragedy? You know, I didn't get to choose my sister dying, but I do get to choose what opportunity I take from that. And the opportunity I tried to take was uh, helping my kids know what to do when life hits them with something like this. So we talked a lot about their aunt Nana and, and how we miss her. And, um, you know, I remember one particular day, my son found me crying on the floor. It was some conversation I'd had with, I think my mom and we were disagreeing on something and he walked in and he just looked at me and he said, you're sad, mommy. I said, yes, I'm just sad. I'm okay. I'm just sad. And he says, hold on. And he ran over to his aunt Mamie, which is my best friend and said, Aunt Mamie, my mommy's very sad and I think she needs your help. <laughs> and, you know, and my friend Amy said, oh, thank you so much, Carter. You did such a good thing by coming to get your mommy help. I'll take care of it. And he said, OK. And he just ran off. You know, he felt great about it. It didn't bother him that much. And she came and chatted with me. And and then I later on said to him, thanks so much for you know getting someone to help me. That was such a great thing to do when someone's sad is try to figure out a way to support them. I'm really proud of you. And I just kind of kept trying to do that kind of thing throughout the grieving process, not hide the fact that I was sad, but what do you do from there? And they slowly watched me kind of build my way out of it. And they felt comfortable also saying, I miss Aunt Nana. And we would talk about her and kind of eventually came to this point where my my son, who just has this way of being kind of concrete and just kind of to the point in the best way sometimes. And he says, you know, I think that I really miss Aunt Nana, but I'm not going to think about the bad parts. I'm going to think about the good parts. I think that's what I'm going to do. And I said, you know what, little boy, you're absolutely right. And we kind of just went from there. And so we kind of worked together to do that. Now, that doesn't mean that I showed them every single time I completely broke down and couldn't get myself back together. Those are the times I tried to keep a little bit more to myself. But, you know, the times you see something that reminds you of something and you tear up or you cry, they see that all the time. We light a candle every year as part of our kind of culture the night before my anybody dies. So my sister's death, uh, we light that and we light it together and they'll see me tear up or cry and then they'll see me start dinner. Um, and that's just kind of the model that I've tried to do for them. Yeah, I love that. And I, I just as a quick aside, I am very familiar with Down the Shore because I grew <laughs> up in New Jersey. So I am... <laughs> <laughs> I spent many a summer there. So anyway, um, but in all seriousness, I do. I love that you were open with your grieving process with your kids because they do sense, they do see us, right? More than we know. And to let them into that. And like you said, in an age appropriate way, like not everything, but to let them in and to then give them also permission to feel all the things is so important because I feel like 
And I mean, you can talk about like the tools that that really gives them. And like you said earlier, the coping strategies that will serve them in life, because I can imagine that if they don't have that stuff, what kind of adults are they going to be? Right. So that's what I was seeing, you know, coming up to me too. And, uh, you know, kids also catastrophize things. And I know that sounds silly when you're talking about somebody dying, but if you don't talk to them, they think the worst. And I learned this on my very first practicum opportunity in a hospital, a little girl came in and she'd had a, a tumor that was fine. They were not going to do surgery. Everything was great, but she had kind of been doing the rounds of doctors just to get baselines on those things. And her parents came in and said, we're not talking to her very much. You won't, we don't want her to worry about it. And they're just kind of going through an assessment, um, a neuropsychologist. So that's what I was doing in that medical setting. And I got in a room with her and I'm this young graduate student, really excited to, to kind of go through these things. And this poor little girl just broke down and she looked at me, you know, tears in her eyes and just said, am I dying? I think I must be dying because I hear whispers and my parents seem upset and they're not telling me anything. So am I dying? I must be dying. And it broke my heart. And it just really showed me early on that, like you said, kids pick up on these things and it's better to talk about them and help them process them than to leave them alone. Now, that being said, it's also important to meet them where they are and listen to where they are and not bring them anywhere else. Because with my kids, I thought, oh, no, my children are going to think their mom's going to die. Their Mimi's going to die. Everybody's going to die. They never made that leap Mm. ever. You know, I said, are there's anything you're worried about? And they're like, no, I just really miss Aunt Nana. Okay. You know, like they never, you just kind of have to listen. And if they ask questions, you answer those questions, but try not to lead them. That would be my biggest tip I could give people because your mind will go places that their minds just never will. And it comes up, it's a process, right? Grief is such a process. Even now it's been years, probably three or four years now. And my daughter is just becoming kind of a, I want to say teenager, but she's going to be 11. She just thinks that she's a teenager right now. And she's processing her Aunt Nana differently. You know, the other night she just broke down crying and said, I miss my Aunt Nana because the Aunt Nana was the one that took her shopping and makeup and did all those kind of fun things. And they really bonded over that. And, you know, now that she's coming into her own and trying to figure out who she is, you know, she's missing that connection. And she hadn't talked about that for years. So, you know, it's just that process. Yeah. And the fact that it's, I would imagine, different for everyone, not only in how it comes up, but the length of it. Right. Mm -hmm. So just to recognize that and respect that. And when it creeps up, how to handle that in a way that's gentle and and beneficial for not only ourselves, but for our kids as well. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think grief is such a process. I mean, one day you realize I didn't cry all day long and then you go a whole day without crying and and then a week and then a month and and then a few months. And then one day you realize you had an entire conversation about what happened and you didn't lose it. And despite that, it's still going to be there. Despite that, it will likely catch you out of nowhere sometimes and you'll suddenly break down and that's okay. It's really just about accepting those feelings, feeling them and then moving on. I mean, I just had this experience where I feel like I got to another point in that grieving process. I was uh, interestingly enough doing a photo shoot for the cover of my book and I wear a bracelet that um, my sister gave to uh, myself, my mom and my other sister. We have this picture of all of us clasping hands. It was just about the time she found out she was going to die. And, you know, it's this has this little heart on it and I've worn it since then. And in the middle of the photo shoot, I went to grab something and it snapped off my wrist, broke the thing in half. 
And I took the bracelet and I handed it to my best friend at the time who was helping me wrangle the kids <laughs> as we did this. And she looked at me and she said, did that just happen? And I said, yep. And I turned around and I just went back to what I was doing. And I realized that I actually felt relief. It had been three or four years at that point since I'd been wearing it daily. And I realized there was this pressure of the grief to hold on to it somehow. And when that thing snapped, it actually kind of brought me up and out of whatever I was holding on to. And I felt this kind of relief, like, okay, it's time to let it go. And I'm able to let it go at this point. Not that I wouldn't think about it again or appreciate or remember her, but it's not going to hold me down anymore, Mm. you know, and I'm not going to get stuck in it as much anymore. Um, And I'm going to, and I'm going to learn and I'm going to grow from it. And that was just such a a unique experience. And that's kind of what happened to me. And honestly, with the pandemic shutting the world down for so long, you know, I kind of got stuck in this having to deal with it mode. When my sister died, um, my mom had just had cancer. Then my sister got cancer. And then as soon as my sister died, very shortly after that, I got divorced, which was a long time coming, but just no emotional space to do that. Then we moved to a new town. Then the world shut down, you know, within a few months. And so I just was moving without processing, kind of just because I had to. And so when that happened, there was a lot of processing, a lot of trying to figure out who I was, what I wanted to give back to the world. And I, and I think that that's kind of what came out of my grieving process was learning to, to find yourself and learning that finding yourself is a process and it requires processing. And so I went through kind of needing to work on all these things that I had been through in my life now that I had the emotional and mental energy to do it. And I realized you can lose yourself for a bit, but you never really lose her. You know, she's still there and just waiting for you to work through your shit and find her again. And when you do, she's right where you left her. You know, I thought I had changed dramatically. I thought I was this hustler as I was going through school and everything. And I thought, oh, that's just not me anymore. Well, that's not what happened. There was just this mental and emotional cloud for a while that I really needed to work through. And, you know, when I found her, like I said, she was right there where I left her and better than ever and ready to be the badass that, you know, I knew that she could be. And, and that was such an amazing experience for me. And when that bracelet snapped, it kind of brought all of that together for me in realizing, as I said, you don't get to choose what happens to you in life all the time. I didn't get to choose any of those experiences that I had been through. I didn't get to choose losing kids Uh, the first time, let alone the second time. And actually that's what I learned the second time was that I did everything I could and the universe still threw me that, you know, the same thing twice, three times, you know, so you don't get to choose it. It's almost freeing. It's like you do everything you can and then you kind of have to leave it up to the universe. But when you do kind of get it back and you can get shit together again, uh, it's a really good feeling and it requires a bit of patience and a bit of acceptance and really digging in there. And if you do that hard work and you work through it, it's worth it on the end, you know? Absolutely. And I think it's really important to note that, especially when you've had so much trauma happen, one path is, like you said, hustle through it, numb out and just keep going. But then at some point or another, it does catch up, doesn't it? So that other path is the acceptance, right? And the processing and that shit is hard, Uh right? Yep. But on the other side of that is 
I mean, would you say freedom or, you know, just this, this healing that can't happen if you don't fully get in there into Mm -hmm. all of those hard, hard feelings, right? Yeah. I mean, process, the process takes processing. (laughs) Um, And you may not have, there might be times where you, like you said, you don't have that mental, emotional space to do it, but it's important to eventually find it. And when you do, it's the insight that you gain into who you are, the self-awareness, the self-understanding. That's what creates the confidence and the ability to kind of pick yourself up and to start living your true your true self. Um, you know, when you look at the history of any kind of therapy, psychodynamic up through cognitive behavioral, the theme is insight. And the reason is because insight is a requirement for change and for growth. And if we don't have that, that's what starts to create some of the issues for us. So we start to get some physiological symptoms, you know, it starts with just a headache and a stomach ache. And if you don't process these things, these conflicts that are with inside you, you know, you'll feel them very much uh, physically. And so we really need to start to work on them. And that's kind of when you know you've kind of hit that point when you need to go back and really start to process things because you're feeling things physically. So hopefully you don't get there. But I can tell you, you know, I did a round of doctors at one point too thinking, oh, something's wrong. And I think really looking back on it, you know, it's just a matter of needing that processing time, but not having the emotional or mental space to be able to do it at that point in time. And now I feel better daily. I'm I'm making healthier decisions. My kids feel better. And that's a really nice process to see in the end. But you're right. It takes a lot of work. And I tell my clients this all the time. I said, if you don't want to come back to our session next week, tell me, because that means we've hit on something because it's that conflict that breeds the change. We need to go through the conflict and you just kind of have to push through and ride it out sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me if you could boil your life lesson that you'd like to share to inspire other women down into a sentence or two, what would that be? I think what I was just saying about conflict breeding change is really important. If we don't have conflict, we don't have change. And so try not to shy away from that conflict when it happens. Try to accept the things that happen to you. It's grief. That's your process right now. Remember to process it and to kind of have this acceptance over that conflict and use that as a tool for yourself. You know, as I said, it it takes a while sometimes, allow yourself the space. And, you know, I remember the time in my life where I would say to somebody, well, you either choose to get up or you don't, you know, and that moment when you choose to get up, that's a good day. And then more and more good days will follow from there. Yeah. And to normalize for our kids and tell me if I'm wrong or right, but to normalize that there are highs and lows in our lives and that that is normal, like, right? Like it's not, you know, the expectation of being happy all the time is totally unrealistic and -hmm. unhealthy because that means we are ignoring something, right? And we're numbing out. So just to make sure to let the kids into, and like you said before, that open communication is so, so key, right? Mm -hmm. I always say life is a series of ups and downs, you know, as long as your general trajectory has like a slope that, that goes up, uh, you're going to have some ups and downs along that line. And that's okay. You know, you enjoy the ups and you ride out the downs. And that is the perspective I take with my kids that, yeah, maybe not a great day, but tomorrow, you know, we'll have a little bit better and 
things happen. And I think now with the pandemic, everybody realizes that some things can happen that change your the course of your life the way you thought it was going to go. And that could be a good thing and a bad thing. You know, I think most people are lucky and don't have that experience. They hopefully don't have that trauma of waking up one day and everything being completely different than it was supposed to be for them. But now, you know, we have had the world shut down for a bit. And so I'm hoping we use that as a teachable moment for our kids and really help them develop some of these these coping skills. And you're right, communicating is the way to do that. Shying away from it is not. I can't tell you how many families that I've seen that had the model growing up of sweeping everything under the rug and everything being fine. And now they have a really deep issue with connecting with other people and their kids are having some significant problems because they feel like they have no, they don't know what to do with all of these emotions that they're having. And especially now that everybody is stuck trying to cope, we're seeing those problems increase. So open communication is really important. And remember, you're the model for your children. You teach them what to do with these things. Nobody else does. I remember when I was growing up, I don't think I'd been to a wedding or a funeral until I was in my mid twenties. I guess we got lucky or I don't know if I didn't go, I don't know exactly what happened, but I didn't know. I was scared of those things for a while, not knowing what to do with it. And you realize you teach your children how to process these things and how to handle those things. So if you're unfortunate enough to have the world throw these things at you, use it as an opportunity because that's the only choice that you have. You don't get to choose if it happens, but you can choose to to decide what you want to do with it. And, you know, I know you've talked about tragedies in my life and just to give everyone some perspective, I never saw it that way. It was just what, what, what happened to me. It was just what my life was like. And then when I started writing this book and kind of writing my story out and I looked at it on paper, I thought, oh crap, <laughs> that's a lot of shit that just happened, you know, but I didn't feel it just kind of was what I was dealing. I just, I didn't have a choice. You know, people always say, oh, you're so strong. I didn't get a choice of whether to be strong or not. You just, you just did it. You just get up. And I think that it's, like you said, very important to model for your kids how to do that. And even within this pandemic, they watched me. I said, mommy's, you know, really, really sad right now. You know, I did a lot of schoolwork, school shutdowns. I didn't have as much of that work coming in and just all this time to sit with myself, which I am not a huge fan of to begin with. (laughs) I'm not really a yoga kind of gal. And, you know, so sitting there with it, having to process it, they heard me say, like, I just, I just feel like, I need to find my way. I need to find myself right now. And I'm just a little bummed and I'm sad when you're not here sometimes because you're with your dad and it's different for me. And so I'm just trying to figure it out. And they watched me go from that process to now having a book out and helping all these families and, and really building back my business in a different way, in addition to what I had offered before. And they watched me get myself happier And what a model to give to, especially my daughter to say like, hey, it's okay when you're sad and you're trying to figure out who you are, but look how this is the process you go through of coming out of it. And I did that by just talking, right? Communicating and not just personally, but professionally, you know, that's how I've always built my business is what I call pounding the pavement. Just talk, talk about your life, talk to people, meet people, network. And through that, you start to learn yourself, you start to learn your interests and you connect. And it's that connection that is so important in life. And that's the thing that drives you forward. Like to the point where it is preventative for dementing conditions, like socialization and connection is preventative for Alzheimer's. Mm. That's crazy from a brain standpoint. It shows you how much, how important it is to your brain health and clearly your mental health. Yes. 
you know, I have to say your kids are really lucky to have a mom who is just so like, who's just gets it and who's having that open dialogue and giving them those skills and that those tools that are going to make them really awesome, healthy, well-adjusted adults. Oh, I just, I love it. And gosh, I hope that I'm doing a fraction of that with my own kids because open communication is a huge thing in, in our house. And, and I hope that I'm doing a good job like you are. <laughs> I think we all hope that, you know, I think my kids would probably say I communicate, I'm done communicating mom. I'm done. You know, I always say, oh, my poor children are doomed. You know, they have a psychologist as a mom. And you know what? It's always going to be your mother's fault. I say it all the time. It's always your mother's fault. I still call my mom and say, I don't know how this is your fault, but I'm sure that it is your fault. So, you know, I take full responsibility and full credit, as I say. So, Yes, we get the good and the bad. Yeah, (laughs) we're going to get it anyway. So we might as well take some credit for the good stuff here and there. Well, and, you know, I just have to say, like you had mentioned, it is a great time being that we're in this pandemic (laughs) to have that time of self-reflection and to figure our shit out, right? Because if Mm -hmm. not now, when? Right. Well, and this is why I started this model of growth mindset within my practice. I I wove the growth mindset into my practice even more because the first time you kind of see yourself on paper is a resume maybe, or, um, or, or maybe college applications. And there's no reason to start it that late with my kids and with the families I work with. We do this chart called a glow and grow, you know, where are you glowing right now? Where you just rocking things and where do you need to grow? And I do it my kids do it. I encourage the parents and kids and it shifts the whole dynamic of the household. And I talk a lot about this in my book. The idea is not that we're perfect. It's not that everything's going to go fabulously. It's not to, to save everybody from ever working on anything. It's to teach ourselves how to, to really rock the things we want to rock and to start to get better so that we can move them over to the other column, you know? And that's what I really want my kids to see that they can constantly target anything they want and start to really build their skills from there. And I'm even going through this process professionally right now. You know, I'm a psychologist. I'm a neuropsychologist. I can rock the brain stuff and really help families. But from a business standpoint, I'm just learning business models and marketing and things that I never went to school for. And so those are all in my grow column right now, trying to figure out how to serve more people and help people and still continue to um, what I would call bake good bread, because one of my mentors had a father who was the baker and he used to say, just bake good bread and they'll come, you know, bake good bread. So that's been my business model really is bake good bread. And so learning all these new skills, you know, is something that I'm growing on. And again, it's a model for my kids to see like, yeah, you might have a good business, but you could do, if you want to do more and you want to help more people, you have to learn things. It's not a stagnant process. We don't just get up and get your doctorate and you're done learning. That's not, that's not the way. And so I think that growth concept is really important. Oh, so much. And just again, like you said, to model for your kids that that growth and learning doesn't end, right? right? It keeps going. And no matter your age, if you welcome it, Mm -hmm. then it can always be a part of your life, which is so important. Yeah. And being a little vulnerable. I always had my personal life separate from my business life. And then over time, I realized that people need connection in order for you to help them. You know, they need to understand who's helping them, especially in this world of social media and of of knowing so many things about so many people, you know, you're going to seek people who you feel connected with. 
And I think that's why it was, it's so important for me to share my story in general. You know, I think we don't tend to talk about the bad things all the time. And at one point I thought that was because we wanted to hide them. We didn't want to talk about them, but I soon realized, at least for me, it started to be to protect others. I go through life half uh, thinking everybody knows my issues and it's written on my forehead. And so I just figured everybody knows when actually everybody is more interested in what's happening with them most of the time. And the other half trying to protect people, worrying that my story would upset them. And so I kind of want to save people from it. And I just realized it's really important to talk about these things because other people have experienced it. We don't want people feeling alone in this world. We want people feeling connected um, and it helps everyone relate to each other and connect to each other. And I think when people realize I'm not perfect and that I've had my own ups and downs, they can relate to me. They know that I understand different aspects of what's happened with them. It can inspire them. You know, I just had a woman email me the other day and from my perspective, what a terrible situation. And here she was uh, emailing me because I had inspired her. Um, her, her husband walked into an emergency room and never walked again. Um, some strange illness that just made him a quadriplegic. And she'd been dealing with that for two years right before the pandemic. So not only that, but she'd been stuck in the house by herself. And she said, I was just reading your story and realized, you know what? People are going through even worse things than me, or they're going through their own things. And it just really helped to give me perspective and watching the way that you had come out of it, you know, makes me feel like I could come out of it too. And hearing stories like that's a little crazy for me. I never thought that that would be the way that it would go, but it's important to share these stories because bad shit happens. I'm going to say it bad yeah. shit happens, you know, and it's just part of the life process and to kind of start to work through those and grow out of them or, you know, through them, because really it's not, a, it's not growing out. It's kind of going through is really important. And that's that great model that you can start young with your kids so they can handle these things that life will throw at them oh. inevitably. A hundred percent. I love that you mentioned about the vulnerability piece and how that creates connection. I mean, that is, that's what this podcast is all about, right? And right. I'm so thrilled that you shared so openly today because sharing these stories and opening up is what creates that connection in such a broad way, because inevitably we can relate to each other, even if we haven't been through the exact same thing, yeah. right? We, there's, right. there's some, something we can always take away from someone else's story. So thank you so much for that. Yeah. Well, and I think it's important to take that time to make sure you are, you know, connecting and understanding people's process too. I remember when I lost my second or third son, my father actually said something to my mother. Oh, I didn't realize that she had had a baby. Like, I don't know if he didn't look at the pictures or didn't what, but he was there for um, the birth of my second son and held my second son for a while before he died. And I think that he was like, wow, I, I just didn't have a concept of what had happened to her. And this is a father that I'm fairly close with. So I just think it's about not shying away from things and pretending things, you know, aren't happening, but really kind of going headfirst at them and, and trying to understand and connect with people. And that connection only drives people forward and you support others and they support you. Um, and that's really what life is all about. Absolutely. So tell me what is next for you? What excites <sighs> you about the future? 
You know, um, as I mentioned, I got divorced uh, a couple of years ago. And so my new relationship is very exciting for me. My children, watching them kind of get back on their feet here a bit as the world here in New Jersey starts to open up a little bit and they can get back to sports and those kinds of things. I think I'm really excited to just, we moved to a nice small town that you can ride your bike downtown to the, literally there's a candy store on the corner. Um, and so, you know, I'm just excited for their process to watch them continue to grow into these wonderful people and humans and really I practice what I preach, you know, so raising their brains is something I'm really looking forward to. And then I have a book out, you know, called Raising Brains. Um, and so I'm excited to share that with the world. It, it's it's my brainchild, <laughs> um, you know, pun intended. Um, and so I, I'm really happy to be able to share that and to be able to serve more people and really start conversations. And I have a, a course called Raising Brains. It's a little brain uh, master parenting class. And so I'm so excited to have people have some personalized coaching and really get the benefit of walking through some of the trainings and see how they use them and implement them and see what support we can give each other and kind of more of a group model and really to create a community around this. You know, I think as moms and parents, we have to support each other. And I'm a big proponent of, you know, catching a mom if she's fallen that day and trying to look at it from the, from any perspective when anything happens of, okay, well, what can we do to support that person if they're, if they're not feeling supported? So I'm really excited about all of those things. Lots of good stuff coming up. I love it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So tell me, are you ready for the final five? I am. I think so. (laughs) So these are the same five questions I ask of every guest. And the first is if you could have one superpower, what would it be? So it's so funny. I was talking to my partner about this and he was laughing and he's absolutely right. Regulating my body temperature. <laughs> and let me tell you why. Because I have this Reynolds syndrome where my fingers and my toes go completely numb and yes. white and they've started to hurt. And I'm also not an extreme weather girl. Like I'm real good in the middle, which is weird because I'm in New Jersey and we only have one or extreme or the other, but um, I'm not really good in extreme cold and I'm not really good in extreme heat. So I feel like if I could regulate my body temperature, life would be grand. That is so funny. That's definitely a first on what led her here. Oh, I know. Well, I don't want to know what other people are thinking and feeling. I can already sense that too much. I knew that. Uh, I really don't want to be invisible because there. I've learned in my life especially I think after getting divorced, there are things you're kind of okay with not knowing and not being around for, you know, time travel, I guess, but I don't really want to know what's going to happen because I've seen enough things happen in my life that I'm like, I'll just, well, I'll just wait till I get there. Yeah. So regulating my body temperature. That's my. Oh, that's good. When you were a kid, what did you think you'd be when you grew up? So my father tells this story of how all I wanted to do was run the machine that sweeps the street. There was like a street sweeper machine and I just found it so fascinating. Um, So I wanted to run that little machine that had the wheel that would go like around the curbs. And um, he also says that I would want to be a hairdresser, which is really interesting because I am I am not creative. I have terrible visuals. It would have been a horrible choice for me. I have no skills in this color, nothing. So (laughs) I'm 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 happy I didn't go that route. But it was a street sweeper and a hairdresser for a while. (laughs) (laughs) If it were your last day on Earth, what would your final meal be? 
Uh, so I started um, doing this uh, sweet potatoes, uh, either in chip form or like as little hash browns, almost as nachos with bacon and avocado and some fried onions and a little Greek yogurt on top, maybe with a little sriracha. That would probably be my, I just, I'm really into it right now. Probably sweet my Sweet potato thing. nachos. Uh-huh. I am, egg on top. I'm intrigued uh, you, by that. Uh, if you really uh, do it for breakfast <laughs> one morning. That sounds delicious. Mm -hmm. Who is a woman in history or present day you admire? So I thought a lot about this and actually uh, the kids and I over, I was going to say over the break, but really over the pandemic, when I made this rule that we needed to watch uh, a documentary, actually, it was a friend that made the rule about watching a documentary uh, once a week. And I thought it was a great idea. So I stole it and we watched uh, Ruby Bridges. Um, So here's this little six-year-old girl who became the first African-American student to integrate into an elementary school in the South. And it's actually her mother that I really admire the most. I mean, Ruby also, but her mother, just for the strength and conviction of the little of that little girl, um, but also to have the faith as a parent to put your child in a situation knowing it's for better educational opportunities, knowing she's paving the path. But I think I said before, conflict breeds change, right? It's one of my big go-to lines. But to be able to recognize uh, the significant conflict your child will have to go through um, in order to have that change for herself and for others, it's exactly that conflict breeds change concept I talk about, but to such an extreme that I really admire that. Mm, I love that. What is your favorite quote? Uh, well, other than conflict breeds change, I think it's not reality, it's perception. Uh, it's something I talk about a lot. My mother used to say to me when it, she was really talking about friendships uh, and conflicts I was having with peers. But from a brain perspective, it's really valuable. You know, it's all perception when it comes to our brains. It's just a bunch of electrical signals coming together, just like you would flip a light switch. And it can go wrong almost just as easily in certain ways. And so to recognize that it's not reality, it's perception, that your perception is what makes your reality, I think is a really valuable tool for me as a parent. I knowing my kids have a different reality than me. And even in the world, you know, if I, uh, someone cuts me off uh, and actually my boyfriend gets mad at me when I do this, but uh, somebody cuts me off, I think, gosh, I wonder what happened to them today. You know, what a terrible day they must have had. And I'll make up this whole story, you know, and I think they're just on their way to visit their grandmother, but they can't go in there because of COVID. And that's really upsetting to them, but they're late and they know they only have this 10 minute window. And, you know, and I think it annoys them because it calms you down and it gives you its different, (laughs) different perspective, you know, so it's not reality. It's perception is probably my favorite. Oh, I love it. When normally people would just flip that person off. Exactly. exactly. I think you just confirmed for us that you are an empath. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. Well, and that's kind of where raising brains came from, you know, because I see people as brains, you know, I know that sounds crazy, but that person that cut me off, I see their brain. I see what's happening for them instead of what it does to me. And that changes your perspective. It, it helps you as a parent remove a lot of the emotion, you know, because I always say we are passionate about our children and they are passionate about pushing our buttons. (laughs) Um, So emotion comes with it. So if you can really step back and just think about, give everyone the benefit of the doubt, think about their brains and where they're coming from, you're going to be able to form that connection we've talked about and really find great value, I think, in your life and in theirs. Oh, well said. 
Thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate your time. And I am so excited that our listeners get to learn more about the brain. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks so much for having me. It was great talking to you.